This is Mission.org. I think the convergence of the digitization of commerce and the digitization of video, which streaming is at the center of, as inextricably linked as well. For most marketers, TV has been at the epicenter of their strategy, but then commerce was all the way over here. And so from an advertising perspective, the advent of retail media, the digitization of a lot of trade promotion and circulars and things like that, at the same time that TV streaming is taking up more and more of marketers' share when they're thinking about how do I deploy my video and advertising across all these different channels. Ultimately, I see those things converging, which is really exciting. Since TVs have become smarter, TV ad marketing has had to do the same. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. Today, we're pleased to welcome Jordan Rost, the head of ad marketing for the streaming pioneer Roku. With an accomplished resume that includes over eight years at Google during the rise in popularity of smartphones, Jordan has a firm grasp on how radical innovation and technology impact marketers. Tune in to hear his thoughts on how streaming has revolutionized the TV ad space. And according to him, how some marketing strategies remain similar to those in the past. So your career, your perspective is really interesting. I want to know just right out the gate, like what are some of the things that you're just most excited to talk about, like happening in your world right now? What are some of those things? I've always been super interested in technology and how people interact with technology. Does it change us? Does Do we change it? Uh, and I've been kind of chasing that thread my entire career from, you know, what are people searching for on Google? And what can we learn about humanity as a result of that too? Now, what are people watching on TV and sit at kind of the center of the ability to really for the first time ever see that in a much more expansive way, which is incredibly exciting. So technology, humanity, the intersection of culture and all those things. So it's, mm. it's, it's super exciting to be able to explore, be curious, learn, uh, and ultimately learn a little bit about myself and about people as a result. So where did that kind of start for you, like the itch around people and technology and how we interact with it? Like, was that pre-Google days? Was this like kind of growing up a curiosity around tech or yeah. where did that first start for you? I've been a tinkerer pretty much my whole life. I've always disassembled things to figure out how they work and try to put them back together. I've probably broken a number of VCRs in my day, which may date me for some, <laughs> some of the folks uh, checking this out. But uh, yeah, I've been kind of naturally curious specifically about how tech works. Uh, I've always probably not been the first early adopter, but maybe the, the second wave to really slowly understand what things are and, and what they mean. So, you know, that again was VCRs in the day and now is everything from streaming TV to TikTok to everything in between. Uh, and so for professional purposes, I think that really first really took hold, started my real career as a aspiring creative and was not great at the creative aspects of the job, but 
got handed a brief that told me all about who our audience was and what their behaviors were. And I was like, hey, I want to go deeper into that. How did we learn that? What's telling us that information? And can we reverse engineer some of that? And so, again, bringing it back to some of the profession, the insights and the planning phases of advertising and media and technology at the intersection of all those has been a really fertile ground for me to explore for for most of my career. Hmm. It's interesting you say about the art kind of background, because I know you were an art director, yeah. uh, like a slingshot. This was back in 26, I think, when you were there. So you had that creative kind of you know introduction experience. You worked with some big clients, Verizon, Dave & Buster's, et cetera. So was that where it first started, where you were like, hey, wait a second, I though I am in this art world, there's a different side of this world that I want to get into? Yeah, it probably actually started in college. I started a, a student-run ad agency at Northwestern, and oh wow, it was a pretty humbling experience in some senses. You know, most of our clients were not the brands you mentioned; they were the local businesses around campus. Um, that was fun. Got to work for uh, a couple of the schools actually at Northwestern, which was really interesting. Uh, I learned the business side of advertising, but business in general, uh, how to keep a balance sheet in the, in the in the black and not the red. And I, I think we actually worked the agency into probation because we <laughs> weren't paying our bills and things like that. So I've always been really interested in the business side of the creative arts and the marriage of those two as well. So uh, that was probably a less fruitful version of what I'm hopefully doing now, but it was also just a good lesson learned. Mm. <laughs> the challenges of running a small business and... Uh, a good kind of kick in the pants as I got my business career started. I love that. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, the modern day CMO and the modern day marketing leader, which seems like they they need to have the right brain, left brain thing. They've got to have this ability. And you, I look at your role and title, I'm like, clearly, though you may be more towards the analytical side of things, you still got to have this, the art of it as well. So how do you today in 2022 view that marketing leader role, having to have both? Do you feel like you have the support and resources to pick up the slack maybe or your strengths or how do you just view that? Yeah. I mean, to me, the single best way to drive performance is to have a good brand and part of brand is great creative and visual storytelling. And so to me, they're inextricably linked. And I think one of the things that I hope is one of my superpowers or just powers is of appreciation for typography and great design. I'm I've a student of advertising and design. It's I listen to podcasts related to the topic. And so I'm I'm nerdy in that pursuit, just the same as I was and you know, kind of tinkering with my VCR. And I, I think that suits me well because that is all deployed in service of helping advance our company and articulating our strategy and our value propositions in ways that we need our audience to understand so that they can then take the actions that we want them to do. And so both are means to the same end, in my view. Mm. If you can you know, deploy great design or great creative storytelling and use that in a way that's measurably beneficial to the business, like that is what marketing is. Um, and I studied a combination of business and communications and political science. That's where the curveball kind of comes in. But I was super interested in thinking through, I think to my mind, I think the political landscape has changed a lot since when I was in college, but using rhetoric and understanding your audience and how do you communicate a message, the political arena is a really interesting place where that has happened for hundreds and hundreds of years, if you know, well beyond that, to be honest. And so Marketers, we, we we consider ourselves slightly different, but 
marketing and sales, kind of the same thing. Designers are sellers at the end of the day. And so um, there are different tools and techniques and for me, personal passions that we can deploy to ultimately try and get to the same spot, which is, do I have a message that I can convey to the audience that I want in a way that they're going to connect with? And as a marketer, then can that move the business forward? So you've been at Roku now over two years, right? Is it over two years? Yep. Okay. I joined right before COVID hit. Ah, perfect timing, Jordan. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yes and no. Yeah. It's, yeah. Been, a, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. I mean, so I think that for the, you know, I don't know, less than 1% of people out there who don't know Roku, can you just describe Roku and then your role there? Sure. So uh, Roku's America's number one TV streaming platform. We basically have three different businesses. Uh, we power the television experience for 61 plus million households who are cord cutters or they're just looking to get to Disney Plus or Netflix or any of the ad supported channels that they love to stream. Um, second, we help streamers find great content across all those different services. And third, uh, we run advertising and work with both brands and agencies as well as publishers to maximize the advertising experience they can deploy across all those different services. And so uh, I lead marketing for the the latter part of that, really helping advertisers and brands and creators understand what can TV streaming present in terms of an opportunity to, as I said, connect with an audience, deploy a really interesting TV relevant message. And for us, streaming is exciting because it marries the best of what TV has always represented. Huge cultural moments, large audiences, all eyes on kind of the biggest screen in the house, but underpinned by all the technology that digital platforms, that social and search and commerce platforms have always provided to advertisers in terms of measurability. So uh, it's been a really exciting place to to learn a ton about how businesses and brands and marketers are thinking about some pretty seismic shifts happening across that entire landscape. That's amazing. I mean, I I think I sit here, you know, in my from my seat and perspective, you are at this intersection of a lot of speed, of a lot a lot of velocity with the world changing, streaming's changing, how users are interacting and engaging with advertising and publishers and agencies. It's all so rapidly changing. How do you view it though? Do you view it of like, okay, it's as fast as it seems to the rest of the world or do you kind of have an ability to, yeah, is there some some pause? Because to me, you're like at the helm of this fire hose yeah. where technology and the world is changing. And it's like, you kind of got to have a grip on a lot of things. And I think it could get overwhelming. Yeah. How do you kind of a set kind of level set? Okay, you know, I got this because clearly you got it, but how do you view it? I think maybe I shouldn't admit this uh, on a public record, but- <laughs> In some ways, I'm a bit of a, a Luddite, uh, you know, when it comes to my wife gives me grief for this all the time, but I'm not the most active person on social media. I'm a student of it and I'm there and I understand, I think, hopefully what's happening. But um, I try to keep an arm's length from some of these things, just close enough where I understand what's happening, active enough where I, I know what the space provides. Um, and so I've always very intentionally tried to create some healthy distance between myself and whatever it is I'm I'm looking into. Uh, so I think that's one way in which I'm able to see the forest for the trees. Um, the second, thankfully, I have a, a few of my own gray hairs and I've seen at least a few tech waves um, so that each each shift feels a little bit less seismic. Um, and to me, the shift to streaming is really similar in many ways to the shift to mobile, which is kind of really where I entered my professional career in the early mid 2000s, uh, you know, when I was at Google, we were talking about, oh, we're going to hit that fulcrum point of 
more than 50% of searches are going to happen on mobile. And I feel like we talked about that for years and probably close to a decade. And then it finally happened. And ever since then, at the time, it was, you know, people are never going to buy things on their phone. Well, I can't remember the last time I bought something on my computer, <laughs> let alone my phone. And so uh, the phone has become so integral to the way we live our lives. And for a lot of people, TV, that's always been the case. It's just never been digital and it's never been, from a marketer's perspective, integrated along the rest of their digital media mix or marketing mix. And so in some ways, like understanding what's truly new and unique about those shifts, being in that case, being able to actually alongside social and commerce and all these other platforms, be able to have TV finally part of the digital mix is incredibly revolutionary. But TV has always been the center of most marketers' media mix. So in some ways, that's nothing new. And many of the things that worked well in the traditional TV ecosystem also work well in the streaming ecosystem. And many of the things that work well in the social advertising space work well in streaming as well. So having a sense of how seismic and what's uniquely seismic about these shifts is, I think, really important. Some of that comes with time. Some of that comes with distance. Mm. Are there any other maybe one or two seismic shifts that you see kind of happening or foresee happening in the not too distant future? I see, and this isn't a binary shift, but I think the convergence of the digitization of commerce and the digitization of video, which you know streaming is at the center of, uh, as inextricably linked as well. And so again, for most marketers, TV has been at the epicenter of their strategy, but then commerce was all the way over here. And so from an advertising perspective, the advent of retail media, the digitization of a lot of trade promotion and circulars and things like that, at the same time that TV streaming is taking up more and more of marketers' share when they're thinking about how do I deploy my video and advertising across all these different channels. Ultimately, I see those things converging, which is really exciting because then from an advertiser perspective, you get to create all these new experiences where maybe I can actually buy on my television or the advertising I'm putting into these retail media outlets. Can I also connect that with my TV investment. And that's really exciting from a measurement performance, but ultimately a consumer experience standpoint where the message you're seeing on your TV, then when you pick up your phone, it can actually continue the customer journey. And instead of just hearing just a general broad brand message on TV, now I'm actually seeing a coupon for whatever that product is or a local store location where I'm actually directed to in-store to my local retailer. So all of these new converging trends between commerce and media and video consumption, I think are, are really exciting. So can you take us into maybe an example of, of a conversation that you're having with a publisher or an agency or a brand? You know, because like you said, there are a lot of folks where TV was always a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a resurgence of, and of course, connecting commerce and media and, and these things. So yeah. what are some of the things that you're talking about a high level, obviously, but kind of behind the boardroom doors of like, hey, this is what we're this is what we're seeing. This is the conversations we're having with brands, publishers, agencies, etc. I think I've spent a lot of my career focused on CPG, consumer packaged goods, food brands, uh, and I think for certainly for television, that is you know most large major CPGs who've been around the last number of decades, they built their brands on TV. Um, and if I think back even a few years ago when we were talking to them, a lot of the conversations are around. How do I reach anybody who's got a mouth if you're a food brand? <laughs> if you're selling chocolate or soda or things like that, you know, your audience is everybody. And so when they entered the 
streaming space, they were attracted to the same benefits that TV's always provided. Huge reach, large cultural moments, relevancy. Uh, and now where a lot of the conversations have shifted is to a much more nuanced understanding of who audiences. I don't just want to reach everybody with a mouth. If I'm a toothbrush brand, I want to reach people who are really interested in and have actually bought in the category, but for natural brands, if I'm a natural toothpaste. And so um, we've forged partnerships with retailers like Kroger to marry their consumer data around who's shopping different categories to then say to any manufacturers who are distributing through Kroger, hey, we can help you conquest in your category in ways that you never would have been able to do in TV before. And it's with all the same benefits of sight, sound, and motion that you can really take advantage of huge storytelling, big audiences, but really relevant audiences for the first time. Wow. Uh, and so I think the marriage and convergence of those two dynamics completely obliterate any distinction between brand and performance marketing. Uh, and doing it all on the hugest screen in the house is, I think, really exciting. Wow, that's huge. There's a lot, of course, in the wings around first-party data, right? And that's, you know, in the cookie-less world and things like that. Mm -hmm. Was Roku already uniquely positioned because they had a lot of first-party data? Because to me, it seems like you can inform a lot of these retailers, a lot of these, you know, brands across category because you already had a lot of that data now. Or is it, are you having to figure out this more first-party data strategy? No, I think our direct relationship with our streamers is at the core of everything that we do from publisher's perspective to advertiser's perspective and everywhere in between. Everything that we do comes back to how can we make the viewership experience better for streamers? And so from the time that someone sets up their device, we're providing a, a value exchange to them. If you provide your login information, we can personalize the TV experience. We can give you relevant content information. We can make recommendations about if you've watched this, you're likely to watch that. Um, and so it's better for the consumers. And so based on that, direct relationship, we then can bring publishers into the mix to say, we're going to you know, bring you into that equation so that we can help publisher X you know, really overall be a part of that better consumer experience. And so that takes the form of making sure that consumers are not seeing the same ad over and over and over again from service A to service B. Ultimately, again, making it better for consumers. It's better for publishers as well because they're then not bombarding streamers with the same ads over and over. And then in turn, that's better for advertisers as well. And so when we go to the advertiser side, they're really excited that they can work directly with us and know exactly that they're reaching the right kind of audience. We're not inferring demographics or we're not making guesses as to who that audience is mm. by bridging together IP addresses, which we think will, you know, in not too long from now, go the way of the cookie, bridge together consortiums of ideas that are largely passed around and have no direct tie to consumers as well. We have a direct relationship with consumers. They literally hold our remotes in their hand when they're watching TV. And that creates a much higher fidelity consumer experience and a higher fidelity advertiser experience as well. And it's better for publishers because because of all that, they can monetize better. And that that audience is worth more to them because they know advertisers are going directly after that. Wow. Obviously, there are some, you know, you don't have to look very far to look at some pretty massive competitors that Roku's up against, right? And I'm just curious, kind of personally, your perspective on how you view the competition. Because mm -hmm. I think Roku is uniquely seated, again, to be so competitive, again, kind of first to the market, industry leader, one of the godfathers of streaming, in my, in my opinion. 
you know, but you're up against Netflix and Sony and Hulu and, mm-hmm. and Sling and, and some of these others. But what's your, like, is there just a fierce competitive like view you have against these brands? Do you not pay much attention to what they're doing? Just in your perspective, how do you view a pretty fierce competitive world out there um, in the in the landscape that you're playing it? Yeah. Uh, we were, you know, one of the first movers to to focus on streaming. As I mentioned, we're the the number one TV streaming platform. So we feel really fortunate to have earned the trust of our streamers, which has then given us that kind of front row seat to the rest of the landscape unfolding. We do have a really interesting landscape in that, you know, as much as we, you know, fight uh, and compete directly with many of the companies you mentioned for advertising, they're also really integral partners of ours as well. And so you know, our streamers experience it really, it, there's no one streaming service that's going to maximize and create the TV experience for them. So our publishing partners with all their great content are super important to us, both for the platform as a whole. We also offer many of those same uh, offerings within our owned and operated channel, the Roku channel, so that when streamers are going there for great free ad supported content, they're also seeing a range of different services there could be content from other ad-supported streaming services, as well as premium subscriptions in other subscription services as well. So um, as much as you know, there is a lot of discussion about streaming wars, our seat in the in, in the kind of the driver's seat is really with an eye towards how do we make TV better for everyone? We want to make it better for streamers at the end of the day, which does require choice. And we as the platform that helps you know, streamers control some of that choice and choose what they want to watch. Really important role that we play there. But we also want to make it better for publishers as well. And so we've introduced things like the Roku advertising watermark, which is essentially a way to say any advertising is validated by the actual technology platform on which it's running. And we run roughly 50% of all TV streaming ads. And so each of those that are running on a Roku device with publishers that have integrated with us in this watermark know that that traffic is validated, which is a kind of good housekeeping seal for advertisers as well to know that they're transacting with real users, real inventory on America's number one TV streaming platform. And so we think, you know, that role, you know, presents us lots of opportunities to work with advertisers and publishers and streamers ultimately to truly make TV better for everyone. Are we going to start seeing more Roku original stuff coming? Is that is that a big a big bet being placed? Yeah, it absolutely is. I okay. mean, I think we've introduced a number of uh, Roku originals. Some great just, ones. Yeah. Just this last year, um, you know, at uh, our new front event, we unveiled for the first time Weird, which I'm incredibly excited about, which is the biopic covering Weird Al Yankovic starring Daniel Radcliffe. And Fantastic. so we are really excited to, I think, really push forward the notion of what is great storytelling built for an ad-supported model look like? And the experimentation and the early kind of advancement we've done over the last year and a half or so um, has really proven that with our data or distribution, like we, we can build really sizable audiences for these programs. And so we've been really excited to work with great creators across the board. Um, everything from weird, as I said, as a, a major movie moment, all the way to this old house, which is in my mind, one of the first really original like very focused, expertise-driven uh, content vehicles that helps people understand DIY and the home around them. And for advertisers, is great because they can really natively integrate their their story and their message and their brand in that content. And there's a whole swath of content that lives in between. But we're really excited to, to really drive forward great original content, free ad-supported value prop for consumers, which is also then putting brands at the center. 
Huge. I can tell you're excited about what you're up to there, man. <laughs> this is awesome. It's an exciting time. Uh, I feel, I mean, as I said, we as a company feel very lucky given yeah. our positioning. Um, I feel lucky. I mentioned the last few years have, I think for everyone, obviously been a wild ride. We expected a lot of the change before COVID. We talked a lot about the streaming decade, the, this 10-year period in which we thought and still very much think that all TV would would shift to streaming. The acceleration of that and the advancement of that, I think, happened a lot earlier than a lot of us expected. But um, we're excited for now to have that foundation of growth to build upon and see what brands and publishers and creators and individual streamers can do with that. So it is a really exciting time. It's great, man. I love I love the uh, I love how that your path took you there and you, and what a what a beautiful again intersection to be right in smack dab in the middle of. So. You are one that I, I want to stay connected with as we progress the next couple of years because, gosh, man, it's just things are moving so quick. Um, beautiful. Shifting into kind of the the state of marketing and advertising kind of from your your perspective, we know that media consumption is certainly evolving. Um, for marketing and ads, like what's one area or one or two areas that have stayed pretty consistent? And then is there another area that you've seen the most change regarding marketing and ads? Hmm. I think I'm going to answer the same for both. I think there's been so many questions lately about measurement and what's the right way to measure TV audiences. And at the same time that we've been really excited, as I mentioned, more advertisers are treating TV like a performance channel from an advertising perspective than ever before. They're getting much more nuanced with their audience approaches. They're buying television and measuring television based on performance outcomes. How many app downloads did I drive? How many store visits did I drive? As I said, can we category conquest in ways that grow our market share? Advertisers are moving in that direction. So there's been a lot of discussion around currency and and a push towards completely reinventing how we measure audience. But at the same time, many of the same tenets for measuring audience have also held true. So as much as we are getting a shift towards performance, um, you know, we've been excited to bring Nielsen audience measurement. We were the first platform to bring that into the streaming environment. Now we're bringing that in a programmatic way to OneView, which is our ad platform. And so uh, as much as these new reinventions and new ways of measurement come about, which is great because advertisers know in a much more real way, what sort of ROI am I getting for the dollars I'm placing, which especially in this current environment is super important. We're also still able to take uh, firm tenets and things that have underpinned the way that marketers and advertisers have placed their investments over the course of the last decades and bring those into the modern environment. And so we're excited to play both sides of that coin and ultimately provide advertisers the choice and say, hey, if you want to treat this like a performance vehicle, which is where we see this going as a whole, great, we have solutions for you. If you just want to simply say, here's exactly how I've bought and sold television for the last X number of years, can you do that for me in streaming? The answer is yes, we can too. And so um, in so many ways, there's so much froth about the measurement space. What's old is new again. Um, And in many ways, even the performance aspects are largely taking playbooks that are written for the digital environment and just bringing them into TV as well. So again, this is where I think a little bit of distance can be helpful, where Something that feels completely new and revolutionary surely is, but there's probably another corollary for it just over here. Mm. And so I think that's the perspective we try to provide to to our customers and advertisers. What do you think about in terms of like just new tools? Like, do you anticipate new tools that marketers are going to need to provide these sorts of kind of elevated ad experiences? Yeah, I think 
one of the the big areas of focus has certainly been around privacy. I think when we talk to our streamers, ensuring that their data integrity and their personal information is not shared beyond the the point at which they had expected it to be shared is crucially important. And at the same time, as I mentioned, advertisers and marketers and publishers are are so hungry for data, both for understanding how people are using their own services or how people are interacting with their own brands, as well as getting a more holistic read of, of total viewership and total behavior. And so working across all those different dynamics in ways that adhere to customer privacy, as well as make sure that marketers have a, a fair and true understanding of, of what they're investing is super important. So we've invested in um, our, our clean room approach, which is basically saying you as an advertiser can bring your own data and we can, not dissimilar to how we've worked with some of our partners to match their data files with ours um, in a really privacy safe way, uh, work directly with those companies so that we're not you know, leaking data into the ecosystem, which in my view is how many of these different consortiums are really uh, behaving, but really directly integrate. You get the information, just the information you're you know, rightly uh, have access to, um, and we can provide an ecosystem where everybody ultimately wins. The end result is a better consumer experience because we're ultimately going to hopefully give streamers more relevant advertising. If they've seen an ad five times and the advertiser really didn't want to have them see it 30 times, we're going to restrict it just to the amount of times that we think is relevant. And so um, that's what we're after here is making sure that, again, everybody fits within their right lanes and that everybody ultimately is delivering a better experience for consumers at the end of the day. Mm. I'd love to get your thoughts on just kind of leadership approach and kind of how you think about team building and hiring high performers along the way. You've certainly had the opportunity to work and collaborate with brilliant people at some amazing brands. Now kind of being at the helm of marketing uh, for for advertising there at Roku, what's your kind of methodology? What's your thought process and like how you hire high performing talent in this world that we're in now, which is I think vastly different than the last couple of years, but what's your approach there, philosophy to hiring and and building an awesome team? Yeah. I always try to hire people smarter than me, more qualified than me, so I can learn from them. Um, I'm always looking for people who are also good complements to my strong suits. So I think over those years, I've gotten some self-awareness about what I'm great at, what I'm less great at. And so I try to surround myself with people who are, are good compliments to me and also who come from different backgrounds, whatever that may be, to offset my perspective. And so I love to have really fruitful collaborative discussions about, you know, what's the right way for us to approach X problem. And as the team builds, I try to build around those great people as well. So um, it was just speaking with a candidate earlier today, and we were talking about, you know, what does growth look like? And I think our approach, which I've probably been the the thing I've loved most about joining Roku has been, we hire really smart people. We ask them what their vision is. We ask them to start building a case for what that vision is, build a coalition behind them. And then we build a team behind them. And I've been really excited. And we've been, again, really fortunate to invest in the growth that we've had and say these really new areas of exploration, be it new addressable markets or new product areas, you know, build teams that support the marketing and then ultimately the business that goes into growing into those areas. So um, hire great people, give them the the resources and the kind of kick in the pants to really go do the thing that they've told us they want to go do, and then make sure that they're supported. And again, we've been very fortunate to be able to, to explore in a number of different areas and invest in a number of different people to, to do just that. What would you say is the, the nuance if there are 
if there are any, to the culture there at Roku. Again, you've worked at some amazing places and you've been exposed to some awesome cultures and you've stayed at Roku for over two years now. And so that tells me a lot. A guy like you could go to a lot of different places and do a lot of different things. What was it about Roku that you were like, wait a second, there's yeah, there's something really special about the culture here that maybe was different before, or maybe it was the same, but I'd love your your opinion's perspective. Yeah, I think up and down the organization, everybody is given a really, you know, a really meaty set of responsibilities and a sense of ownership and autonomy to go and fulfill those responsibilities. And so we subscribe to the notion of a DRI, a designated responsible individual. And that means that regardless of your leadership level or your uh, you know tenure with the company, if you're assigned to do something, you get to put your fingerprint on that initiative. Something as large as we're going to Cannes in a couple of weeks. So what does our presence look like there to you know, a, a one sheet that we provide for a sales team in a given vertical um, and everything in between. And so um, that sense of autonomy, ownership, and empowerment, I think is is really key to growing new young leaders. It's key to, for me, learning and trying new things. And ultimately, the really rewarding thing is to then look back and say, wow, that massive thing that we did for the first time was that big and that impactful. That's exciting. And so I we just had this experience with our first ever New Front event uh, alongside other you know, large tech and broadcast media companies. For the first time ever, we put our show on stage and got to tell our story. And it was incredibly exciting to, to see hundreds of people in a room together, to see the, re- the reaction to all the great new content and ad innovation and partnerships that we introduced. And so it's been really exciting in even just a few short years to articulate the strategy, grow the team, and be able to see the fruits of our labor starting to come to fruition Mm. um, and seeing the response at the end of the day, because ultimately we're in a communication business. Sure. And so that response has been really rewarding as well. When you have a good team in place, how are you, you know, there was a great resignation. Now it's the kind of the great retainment. You got to retain people now. How are you keeping it together? How are you keeping these brilliant people? Yeah, there and and moving towards this, these great visions. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think Communication has been one of the biggest challenges in pandemic times. I guess, fortunately, because I'm a professional communicator, that intentionality and that focus and that discipline around articulating and communicating vision amidst change, reaffirming our goals, reaffirming how each individual person fits into the larger company vision, even if some of the details of that are changing amidst a very rapidly changing landscape. Uh, I think really become important and that that discipline and that focus become even more heightened. A lot of the, you know, Zoom was a new technique and tool for us to use. We we loved collaborating in offices and amongst teams in different locations beforehand. Um, but even just over the last two years, we've even surprised ourselves at how collaborative we've been able to be. We do, you know, I think we've really honed the craft of virtual whiteboarding. And being able to like truly brainstorm new ideas, being creative over Zoom or any other virtual tool is is challenging and it's unnatural. But we've been able to take that same discipline we've applied to our communication and apply it to our ways of working in ways that I think have unlocked some new ideas. It's given voice to people who maybe didn't have voice before, which is I think is one small silver lining in the kind of the ways of working that we've all fallen into. Um, and we're taking that back into whatever form of hybrid work we find ourselves in. And I think that that sense of empowerment, what I was talking about before, applied to new ways of working 
has, I think, shaken loose in some people, some new ideas and some new reinvigoration about like, wow, this is possible for me. This is then possible for the company. Mm-hmm. And that connection point is is super exciting. Wow. So what what stage kind of would you say the business is in now? You've been there almost three years, you know, two years plus, you know, and thinking about where, where what stage the business was in when you first joined till now, kind of moving into the rest of the year. What stage or phase would you say Roku is in now as a brand? Yeah. I still think we're in in a hyper growth mode where we're building the infrastructure and the strategy and the people and process and and pretty much everything um, that gets us to, you know, 10 plus years from now, um, which is really exciting because I think we have a fairly firm view of where that's going to go from a media consumption standpoint, from a technology standpoint, from an advertising perspective, how uh, meandering or curvy might that path be to get there is anyone's guess. But um, we've been pretty firm from the beginning, as I said, that all TV would be streamed and we've been building towards that point for quite some time. And so I think where that's changed and where we've adapted to that is sort of in the margins, which is to say, I mentioned OneView, our programmatic ad platform, the automation of television advertising is happening rapidly. And so we've seen publishers and advertisers adapt to that change. And so we've been investing in that space. But that's a change that's going to take a long period of time. You know, Is all TV advertising going to be automated in the next 10 years? Your guess is as good as mine, but that's what we're ultimately building towards. Mm-hmm. And so we try to stay firm to the long view of where we, things are go- where we think things are going. And the tailwinds are at our back where consumer behavior is unequivocally shifting to streaming and increasingly so shifting to ad-supported streaming. And so we really believe firmly that we're building the infrastructure for how the vast majority of people's advertising commitments are going to be placed because TV is at the epicenter of that strategy. And we think automation is crucially important to that. And so building towards that future state is super important and building towards making that addressable, not just to the largest of advertisers, or the largest of publishers is also super important, but making sure that's democratized where small local advertisers can tap into that same appeal. Performance advertisers are already tapping into to TV, as I mentioned, through streaming. We want to open the floodgates to that too, so that all advertisers can really benefit from that. Mm. There's an article that came out, looks like it was, uh, it was a press release rather, uh, WPP partners with Epic Games to boost metaverse offerings. Now, what's interesting about this partnership is it includes this kind of training program to upskill WPP creatives and technologists on how to create these brand experiences in Fortnite and use Epic's engine and 3D creation, all this really cool stuff. So the question is, you know, the story concerning the metaverse brings up this interesting need to upskill workers. Mm-hmm. In your world, in your own work, are, are you striving to kind of upskill the team and get them geared into this space as well? Or thoughts on that? Yeah, we have quarterly sessions across a number of our different teams where a lot of my teams will share some of the advertising and marketing and consumer trends that we're most excited about. And a lot of the focus lately has been around everything from the metaverse to crypto to all sorts of different things. And I think the the push I always give my team is when kind of architecting those discussions is, like I said for myself, what's new about this? What is net new behavior? What's net new skills you need to learn or perspectives you need to to develop for yourself? And where have we seen this before? And I think to me, when I'm my personal view of the metaverse is there's a lot that is brand new and exciting. I think for me, the exposure I've had 
the fidelity of the experience of actually putting yourself into the metaverse. If I think back to what that looked like 10 years ago, I would be nauseous and it would feel really out of body. And that experience is getting a lot more natural, which I think unlocks or at least closes the uncanny valley to get yourself into that space, which then opens up all the different interactive opportunities that presents. But as I mentioned, we've had Second Life and The Sims and Disney World, which I think is the metaverse for how many decades? And so what are the things that were necessary as a marketer, as a storyteller, as a writer, wherever you fit in that, that you can learn from the Imagineers that are going to prepare you well for the metaverse? And what's what's new? Some of the technology and some of the user experience. What's not new is probably some of the storytelling formats and tropes and things like that that are going to be necessary to still be credible and relevant. And so I'm incredibly excited, as I said, with how consumer behavior changes technology and how technology changes us. I generally think people are kind of hard to change (laughs) and we're pretty adaptive to the technology around us, but we're social people. We want to talk to people. And I'm, you know, from instant messages to text messages to metaverse, we're always craving a more natural way to interact with the people around us. And so to be able to do that in whatever form the metaverse takes is really exciting. And I think the more natural that becomes, the more natural that's going to be for people to actually participate. And then therefore, the more mainstream it's going to get. Hmm. Can you take us into the future? And you could, I'm not going to put a time, I'm not going to put a time on this two, five years, whatever, whatever you want to say, but take us into the future and how will users, customers be interacting with Roku you know, years from now? How do you see someone interacting with this brand and this experience all the way from streaming stuff to ad interaction and commerce experience? Like, what do you see happening years down the road? Yeah. So I, I kind of do one business and that's TV. And I'm excited that much of the strategy behind that is, as I mentioned, TV is the largest screen in the home. It's where most people still spend most of their time consuming media. And it's the place at which, especially amidst metaverse discussions, it's the real social consumption platform to bring families together and communities together. And sometimes those communities are not in the same room, but you've got social watch parties that are happening all at the same time. And so I still very much believe that we're going to focus on TV at the center of the overall experience that we have. But the role of television at redefining culture It's always been at the center of culture, but the new ways that TV is defining culture, everything from the evolution of award shows to these massive titles like Squid Game that appear overnight and fundamentally reshape culture and work their way onto YouTube with Mr. Beast, I think is incredibly exciting. And so the role that TV plays at the center of culture, I don't really see fundamentally changing. The ways in which TV becomes connected to the rest of your digital lives, I think will fundamentally change because of the way that streaming has made TV a true digital screen. And so from a creator perspective and a publisher and programmer perspective, I'm, I'm excited with all the different new experiences and connected experiences that can happen within that ecosystem. But I don't fundamentally see a shift from TV being at the epicenter of the experience. And if anything, All of the new kind of social behaviors we've learned in the last two years, I think are going to really color how we want to consume media going forward. And I think this is evidenced by so many social platforms working their way into TV-like experiences. There's something still incredibly special about the TV experience. 
but then that lives amidst a much larger ecosystem of uh, of similar screens that all talk to each other, which is great. Mm. I like that answer. I like that answer, Jordan. Um, cool. Let's get into the lightning round. We've got some fun questions for you. Um, before we get into that, let's uh, give a quick shout out to our sponsor for this show, Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. For those marketers out there that are interested in learning more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. First question, Jordan Rost, head of marketing, head of advertising at Roku. First question, last time you tried something new? Currently trying to learn how to play the piano. I'm a guitar player historically, but I'm trying to figure out the piano. It's not going that well so far, but I'm trying. Nice. Okay. What is one life lesson that you learned the hard way? I mentioned this a little bit, but uh, keep your balance sheet right. P&L is an important concept to, to keep an eye on. That's great. Uh, what's an activity that makes you lose track of time? Uh, cooking, which I guess is probably not a great idea if you're trying to keep track of not burning things, but I find <laughs> cooking to be kind of meditative. Okay, okay. If you could choose one book as a mandatory read for all high school students, which book would you choose? I think the book that most connected with me was Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Huh. Uh, that was my uh, sort of... Kerouac experience as a high schooler. Fantastic. I don't know that one. Okay, cool. Okay, this is an interesting one. You have to choose one of these. Would you rather lose all of your old memories or never be able to make new ones? I would forego my future. I feel very lucky to have all the memories I've made up to this point, and I'd be very sad to see all that great learning and experience go away. Okay, okay. Uh, what is something that you are betting on for the future? Could be personal, could be professional, but just something that you're betting on for the future. A return to focus and discipline. I hear a lot, of, a lot of marketers are talking at the moment about kind of replacing their bets. I think we saw this even two years ago, and I think it was actually ultimately really healthy to reevaluate what's important and replace your bets on the things that actually matter most to you, both personally and professionally. Mm, I really like that answer. Like coming back to kind of rigor and discipline and focus. I think that's that's beautiful. Cool. Okay, so let's say hypothetically you log into work tomorrow, your whole mar your whole team is gone. You got to make one hire, the first hire on the team. What role are you hiring and why? Uh, analytics, it kind of gives me my uh, feet under me and gives me a sense of where I am in the world relative to where I want it to be. So uh, someone to, to develop and monitor our analytics. Cool, okay. What's one thing that impresses you? Compassion. I think it's really easy to be very self-centered uh, in today's world and those who are selfless, but also still take care of themselves in service of that, uh, I think is uh, a really positive trait. Okay. All right. So hypothetically, you and I are hanging out in New Jersey and you say, hey, come check this out. I've got a time machine. So now you and I are going somewhere. Are we going to the future? Are we going to the past? Where are we going and when would we go? Hmm, good question. Uh, not unrelated to my prior answer, I will let the future be itself. Uh, I'm a, a bit of a student of history. Uh, so it's a question of how far back we're going. I really wish I was alive for uh, man landing on the moon. I just feel like that must have been an absolutely wild and momentous and proud occasion that I kind of wish I was there for. Cool. I like that. What is success for you? Seeing other people succeed around me with the fruits of my leadership or 
mentorship or whatever it is that I offered to them that helped them find their success. What is your favorite app on your phone? I've probably tried five or six different meditation or calming apps, uh, and I'm having some success for the first time with the one called Balance at the moment. So shout out to them. Cool. I'm writing that one down. Balance. Cool. And then what is a skill you believe everyone should have? Uh, Writing. I think as a marketer, like that's probably one of the most important skills. Not to say, can you write great prose, but it shows how you think. And so I think it's a good window into the mind. That's great. If you could pick up a skill, a new skill effortlessly in an instant, what would it be? Mm. It's kind of a lame answer because it's not a new one, but I look at like great guitar players. I'm like, I like, I just can't do that. But I like know enough to know that I'm like in the ballpark, but I just can't quite get there. So I'll, I'll go back to that musical example. Okay. Great guitar. All right, cool. Last question. Last question. What is one thing you'd like to do this year that you've never done before? Hmm. I feel like we're talking a lot about like personal mindfulness and um, get into a good regular exercise routine that I finally commit to over the course of like a six month period. I join you on that. It's been like two to three weeks at a time. <laughs> yes. I'll start really strong, Jordan. It looks really yeah. good. But then yeah. catch me a couple weeks later and I may or may not be still on that path. Yeah. I'm on to wow. the next thing or I'm on to something else. And so right. nothing at all. So yeah, it's it's been lumpy. <laughs> I hear you. Well, I join you in that. And um, thank you so much for being here. As I said, Jordan, an incredible conversation. I know our production team and a lot of our personal network of folks are super stoked about Roku and where you're heading as a brand. Uh, congratulations on all the momentum, man. Let's definitely stay connected. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been great. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences so you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.